Hello and welcome to COVID Stories, a podcast series regarding leadership following the COVID-19 outbreak. I'm your host, Dallas Emerson, Director of Business Development at the IT Guys. Before we get started, these interviews were conducted during the COVID lockdown and were held over Microsoft Teams. Any sound quality issues are the result of social distancing that we're all too familiar with. If you're listening on our site, we're thrilled to have you, but you might find it easier to listen to COVID stories through iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Joining me today is Brent Fields, CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Texas. How you doing, Brent? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today. Glad to have you. So this is the question I ask pretty much everybody up front. Uh, maybe our regular listeners are tired of hearing it, but again, I think it's important that we all kind of know what when all this really started, see if anybody was really ahead of the curve or really behind the curve. When did <laughs> right. you first know that something was going to have to change, that COVID-19 wasn't just um, a fluke or, or a media hype? Yeah, well, you know, it seems so long ago now. It's all a blur. Um, what has that been, over three months? Yeah. Uh, I think probably around mid-late March, uh, you know, we started working remotely, I think, second or third week in March. And initially, it was really just about how do we continue our work, um, quickly adapt to this kind of working from home environment, and support our staff to be able to do that safely and effectively. And it was maybe a week or two after that when we kind of got past the initial challenge of just shifting everybody from an office to home that I think at least for me, the realization started sinking in that, wow, we, we might be in this space for a while and we probably need to adapt our model accordingly. Um, and that for us meant learning how to function in a more innovative fashion, uh, for a while. So you had, how did the transition go? Uh, the, the transition from just day-to-day -day work to, oh, no, everybody has to go home. How did that work for you? Yeah, you know, I'm going to talk about it now as if it were these neat little compartmentalized packages, but I'm sure it was at best a hot mess, you know, uh, trying to work quickly and carefully to, to get everything in place. I think first and foremost, we were concerned about safety and well-being. Um for our staff, for our clients, our volunteers and supporters. So I would say initially it was all about how do we protect everybody's well-being. And if that means we move slower, we serve fewer people, uh, our service looks differently, let's, let's take care of those um, in our camp, so to speak. And then it was, I think the second phase was more about how do we continue our services in an effective manner while functioning pretty differently in this remote mode. Um, and that was a pretty, you know, pretty uh, drastic move for an organization that is well over a hundred years old and is solely based on in-person interactions. And suddenly we're in this virtual mode where in-person, you know, meetings and interactions are not possible. So obviously, you know, Big Brothers Big Sisters is focused on in-person, one-on-one interaction. I'm. This might be a dumb question, but has that focus changed? And if so, how? 
It has changed and it's changed drastically. Um, as you mentioned, we're, we're an organization based on in-person interaction. New climate called on us to reinvent everything we do and how we do it. Uh, and yet still provide the safe, high quality, impactful service that we're known for. Um, so it was a drastic change. I mean, we, we initially, we're mostly just concerned about how do we keep everybody safe and protect their well-being. But then the task became, became that of how do we provide these services that are needed now more than ever. So it was never an option to just not move forward, but how do we do it safely and effectively in a virtual mode? And, um, yeah, that, that, that was a month's worth of first things we had never done in that way in almost 50 years of service in Central Texas. And what do those firsts look like? I mean, how did you how do you handle that when you're when your bigs can't meet with their littles? What is yeah. what are they doing instead now? Well, you know, it's it's uh, obviously all the operational things that any organization has to do in terms of, you know, day to day transactions with finance and marketing and operations and personnel, but in terms of our program, yeah, it meant uh, everything that happened before in person. So everything from uh, recruiting volunteers. Now we're doing online info sessions instead of, you know, going out in the community, giving presentations and uh, talking to people in person. It meant doing interviews online instead of in person. It meant doing volunteer trainings online. It meant um, you know, virtually everything we do, uh, providing it in the same quality and safe manner, but, uh, you know, through vir virtual modes. Uh, yeah. Okay. I can't even imagine what it must be like trying to, because so much of what you do is about making sure that, you know, the, the, the littles are well, that, that they're, that they are, healthy and happy, and I can't even imagine what it must be like for your bigs trying to just do what they're supposed to be doing every day and during the craziest time without being in person. That's just, yeah. that to me is nuts. Well, so, I mean, huge, huge kudos to our staff and our volunteers for being so innovative and creative. I mean, we've done everything from online scavenger hunts to, you know, information sessions with 50 people on a Zoom call, uh, you know, things that I would have never imagined possible that have not only worked, but we've found it to be, in some cases, a way to interact with people in, you know, additional wouldn't be possible uh, otherwise. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a challenge, but at the same time, I've been pleasantly surprised how well it's working and as you pointed out, you know, safety and quality are, are hallmarks of our program. So we probably spent a solid month just adapting every protocol, every policy so that we could give them the best possible service, but in a safe and, and you know, high quality manner. Right. Now, your organization has been called one of the best places to work. You've won best place to work in Austin. Uh, you've, your organization consistently ranks as one of the uh, places that most 
fun and most rewarding to work in. Now that suggests that your staff is very close and it suggests mm-hmm. leadership is very plugged in. What steps are you taking now uh, to keep that bond going and kind of maintain normal operations? Yeah, that's a great question because I'll be the first to say I think our culture uh, is our greatest asset. And when we shifted to a re- remote working mode, I thought, you know, I can't walk the halls anymore. I can't just spontaneously, you know, have a side conversation with somebody in the break room. Um, so really credit our culture who quickly pivoted and created a number of things that would allow our staff to interact in fun and creative ways. So we do, they, They've come up with all kinds of things like photo Fridays and every Friday they come up with a different theme and people submit photos. It might be of their pet or their favorite hobby or, you know, the most unusual place they, you know, set up their workplace at home. Uh, <laughs> we've been doing pulse surveys, just checking in with folks. How are you doing? How would you rate your, you know, your well-being? What do you need that you're not getting from the agency? Uh, we've done. <laughs> Uh, after hours, Kahoot trivia games, uh, <laughs> we've hand delivered care packages, uh, to staff, uh, uh, and just providing lots of self care resources, uh, so they can keep their spirits high and take good care while we're apart. Wait, I'm sorry. Did you say that there's people in your organization that are hand delivering care packages to staff? Yeah. So this again was, uh, to the credit of our, our, um, culture committee, they felt like we as an agency needed to do something for every single one of our staff that was customized, hand-delivered, and all about their fun and well-being. So they spent time thinking of things to put anything from hand sanitizer, a roll of toilet paper, and a puzzle, (laughs) or a pack of gum, or whatever. And then they very carefully uh, delivered 32 of those to every staff member's residence from a safe distance while masked. Um, and it was probably one of the coolest things that, that has happened um, for and within our, our team since we've been in this mode. Am I allowed to ask what you got in your care package? Yeah. So I remember I got a roll of toilet paper. I got a bottle of water. I got a back scratcher, a puzzle, um, some great pieces of candy and uh, gum. It was, yeah, I've still got um, some of the things sitting right here by my my chair. Nice. Well, that sounds like they really thought things through. You know, it'll be funny if years from now somebody listens to this and hears toilet paper mentioned a couple of times. They might (laughs) scratch their heads and go, what are these? What? Toilet paper. Right. If you're listening to this sometime in the late 2020s, it was a thing. Right. Um, So you'd mentioned how the uh, kind of the transition went for your organization. Uh, And you had mentioned briefly a little bit about realizing, oh, my gosh, I can't walk the the halls anymore. You know, I can't have these side conversations. How did you as a leader and then you just as a as a dude who has a job to get done? How did you personally adapt to working remotely completely? You know, um, probably like any executive on the planet right now, I mean, my my days are longer. 
uh, probably work harder, longer hours in the last three months than any similar time period in the last decade. And that's mostly because of the number of, you know, online calls, um, all staff meetings, team meetings, management meetings, one-on-one meetings. But I'll say in the midst of all those necessary interactions, probably one of the most important things for me to do, and I've enjoyed it, are just very unstructured, um, informal check-ins. So I literally keep a list uh, on my home office desk every day of a handful of people. Uh, some of them are staff, some of them are donors, supporters, community stakeholders that I just reach out to and just say, how you doing? And I did it initially because I felt like in the midst of all this crisis, I needed to do something to be of service to others. But what I found is it became the highlight of my day, just having an interaction with other human beings that wasn't about an agenda or a task to be accomplished, but those very simple words of how you do it uh, have been some of my favorite, most meaningful um, experiences the last three months. Well, and, you know, it's interesting you say that. That's very similar to why we're having this conversation right now. Um, you know, from our perspective, obviously, we're an IT company. Um, but because we work with nonprofit organizations, uh, we tend to have very people-oriented discussions with people, even if it's about technology. And that's kind of why we wound up doing COVID stories is because we kept having these conversations and we found out our our clients have a lot of very good things to say. Our, the people we work with and our community have a lot of really good things to say. So that's why we started recording the conversations. Mm -hmm. That's why we're having this. So I appreciate that. Yeah, it makes sense. And, and what was the hardest, the hardest and the easiest parts of this transition, in your opinion? You know, I, I'll say that the transition went smoothly for the most part in in terms of we feel very fortunate that we already had the equipment and the technology to pivot quickly and effectively. So every staff member already had, you know, a new appropriate laptop, um, cell phones. It, it was not uncommon for our staff to work from home occasion. Um, so we're very fortunate that we had put some things in place years ago that made that part of the transition, I think, much easier. I think the other thing was uh, one of the hallmarks of our culture is flexibility. It's what our staff value most. It's what we uh, work hard on every day. And so we already had a culture of staff who were passionate, flexible, willing to adapt. Um, I think what was hard about it is we're just such a um, – um, we're an organization that's about connections and about personal connections. And so the hardest part was just not being able to see each other, not being able to see our families and our clients and our volunteers and donors in person and have those spontaneous, you know, collaborative uh, interactions. Uh, and, um, you know, that's still a hard part about it. We miss it. We know it's not possible right now, but uh, it's kind of baked into our DNA and that's, it's a tough thing to not have. Yeah, I can't imagine your your staff not all working together. Uh, every time I've been around your staff, they're some of the most friendly people. Your office is one of the most welcoming places I've ever been. 
Uh, and so I, I'm sure they are all champing at the bit. It's nothing else just to see each other again. Yeah. Now, you mentioned a little, something a little bit earlier. Uh, I kind of want to circle back to that. Has COVID-19 brought any changes for the better that you actually want to maintain after we go back to whatever our new normal is? Yeah, I think without question, for sure. I mean, look, I'll, I will be very glad, as I'm sure everybody else will be uh, when we're on the other side of this, but there's no underestimating the power of resilience. You know, we tackled one of the most complex, difficult things to happen in most of our lifetimes. And you know what? We handled it. Um, we navigated our way through. We pivoted. Uh, and I think there's, you know, to take that with you through the rest of your life and career is, is a powerful thing. I think we learned a lot. We learned how to optimize our use of technology. We learned that we could be more innovative than we even dreamed of. Um, and I love that we proved our ability to adapt and create some efficiencies that probably should have been there to begin with. And so this crisis created an opportunity for us to make some improvements that I think will serve us well, you know, for years to come. Can I ask just for an example of a, one of those improvements, one of those efficiencies you found? Oh, you know, it can be something as simple as like sign a lot of things, timesheets, contracts, you know, expense reports. And I remember before our poor finance and operations team having to track me down and, you know, be able to get those things in a timely manner. You know, we do all that remotely now. And, and you know, uh, I'm sure a lot of that we could and should continue to do that way. It'll probably save a lot of people time and effort. Um, I think we're we're discovering on the program side some people that um, have been drawn to us because at this point in their life and circumstances, the idea of mentoring a young person and doing that from the comfort of their home through virtual technology is really appealing. And so um, I think, you know, that may continue to be a part of our portfolio even moving forward. Interesting. Maintaining a, a a lane for people who want to mentor, but from a distance. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And even the volunteer trainings, you know, there's always logistic challenges when you're trying to get a group of people in one space at one time. Um, we had a, a volunteer info session, I think, earlier this week that had 50 participants. I don't know that we've ever had 50 people show up for an in-person training. Um, so definitely some things that we've learned. So how do you set expectations for your staff and for those that you serve when no one knows what to expect? I mean, we don't know what Austin, what the city or the state is going to say tomorrow, much less in two months. So how do you set expectations? You know, I, I think a key part of it for us, and I'm not suggesting this, you know, is applicable for every organization, but I tend to over-communicate, um, and so maybe I carry some of that into the agency. So I think one of the most important things we did early on and hopefully continue to do is, is we ask a lot of questions, we listen, we check in, we vet, um, 
if I make an announcement about a new decision, even if it's about when and how we're going to reenter the office, it comes after doing a survey, talking with different staff, a management discussion, um, and then communicating a lot in, in groups and one-on-one -on -one conversations. And kind of one of our themes has been acknowledging that we're in a time that is very complex, very hard to navigate, but very important. And we treat it like a marathon. We move slow. We adapt along the way. We're not trying to set a new record uh, on our pace. We want to do things right, and we want our staff to feel part of that process and well-informed and, and aligned in, in why we're doing the things we're doing. So that's a lot of rambling to say. Um, we do a lot of talking and listening and re recommunicating. So and this is one of those cases where you cannot over-communicate. No, I don't think so. Matter of fact, I love it when somebody says, yeah, I get it, Brent. I've heard it four times. <laughs> well, get ready to hear it three more times. Right. We're right. getting through this. So now we had talked a little bit about your staff. Obviously, they are really wanting to get back into the original swing of things. But obviously, you're working with children, with families, with lots of other organizations, and I know everybody's got to be worried about, you know, when we can actually be in touch again, when we can be face to face. Do you do you feel like kind of all the stakeholders in the situation are excited to get back, are champing at the bit to get back to kind of the uh, the old way of doing things? Or do you feel like it's going to be hard to get everybody on the same page to get back into regular gear? Yes. <laughs> um. You know, one of our core values is embracing our diversity, and and that's not just age and race and gender, but it's also diversity of when it comes to this situation. We have a wide range of readiness levels, so there are people chomping to get back. There are people that are nowhere near ready to get back, and I think our job as an agency has been and is to be sensitive and respectful of that wide range of needs and continue to be slow, careful, flexible in terms of our plans and decisions. Um, and when we do these pulse surveys, that's what I'm consistently hearing is that a lot of staff feel very differently about what's going on, how they should react to it. But we hope we continue to hear from them that they feel heard and respected and that their agency is is moving thoughtfully with their best interests in mind. And that I think that's what's going to be key to when and how we come back into a traditional workspace. And so when we do come back to the traditional workspace, obviously for the foreseeable future, things are going to be different than they were, right? There's no going back to February 2020. So what does it, and I don't like this term, people who have listened to this hear me say that a lot, I don't like the term new normal. I don't have a better term for it. Yeah. What do you think <laughs> a new normal looks like? Well, maybe, you know, for us, I hope it's the same values we've always had, but maybe the norms are expanded. So, you know, we've always cared a lot about excellence and diversity and flexibility and connecting. And 
that's not going to change, but how we achieve it has certainly looked differently the last few months. And, and I'm mindful that the process over the next months, maybe years, is also going to look different. So we've talked a lot about those same things that have served us well in the middle of this crisis are going to serve us well as we're coming out of it. And that's, you know, what I've said repeatedly throughout this interview is a lot of listening, a lot of asking, a lot of communicating, the willingness to adapt, be flexible, respect a wide range of needs and preferences. And, um, you know, fortunately, again, I think that's who we have. So that norm that has served us well will serve us well in the days ahead. It just may expand a little bit. Okay. It definitely sounds like your preferred method. And, uh, you know, I've talked to a lot of different executives about this and, it sounds like your preferred method for dealing with this is consensus building, not necessarily, you know, I don't mean, you know, seeing which way the wind is blowing, but making sure that everybody mm -hmm. takes part in making the decision. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always said I don't think a CEO ever knows everything needed to make <clears throat> the right decisions, nor is a CEO expected to make all the right decisions, but if doing your job right, uh, he or she sh better have a sense of, of your audience, of, of your organization. And I, I've always said collectively, we're incredibly smart. Um, and, and maybe the smartest thing I can do as a CEO is tap into that collective wisdom, pay attention to it, and make my decisions based on that collective wisdom. Anytime I think we operate in a silo, uh, the risks for failure are high. I, I like that, the, the, the idea of collective wisdom. Okay, so maybe you've already said it, but I'm going to give you another chance to say it if you already have. If you could give any other executives out there, you know, if they're, long time, old school, grizzled veterans, or maybe they just got their start. I interviewed uh, someone who had started uh, as the CEO just uh, right as this all began, actually about a week before lockdown began. So if you could offer them any advice on how to plan for the coming days, uh, you know, as we're all trying to figure out reopening or in some cases re-shutting down, what would you say? Well, I don't know that it's advice or even anything new or different than most, you know, effective CEOs already understand, which is to do things right and careful is hard work. And especially when you're doing it in the midst of such, you know, challenging circumstances. But um, I tell you the thing I keep coming back to, I'm not a big fan of the skill trait model of leadership that says, okay, if you do this, this, and this, you'll be a good leader. I think different organizations at different times call on different skill sets. Um, and I think a lot of what leadership is about is creating space where other people want to show up and do their best work for the mission. So um, a lot of what I hope I'm paying attention to right now is, is not so much the task that I accomplish. I think that's management. Management's getting things done. Leadership is about who you are, how you show up, and the way you involve other people when you're dealing with issues. 
and um, uh, but in order to optimize that, I really need to be mindful about how I show up and how I involve other people as we're navigating that space. I can't think of a better way to end it. That, uh, that's, that's really wonderful. Like you said, I don't know if it's advice or philosophy, but it's, I like it. Uh, Brent, thank you so much for your time. I know I enjoyed, uh, getting to chat with you. I was getting enjoy, I always enjoy getting to chat with you and I'm sure, uh, our listeners have enjoyed it as well. That's well, my pleasure. Thanks for asking. Thank you for listening. I'm Dallas Emerson with the IT Guys, and this has been COVID Stories. I'd like to remind listeners that you have a COVID story, and we want to hear it. Send me an email at dallas at itguysusa.com, and let's set up a time to talk about your COVID story. Your story may be just the thing someone needs to hear. Thanks again.